Hi, and welcome to today's meeting of Book Hoarders Anonymous. Let's all begin by introducing ourselves. Hi, I'm Shannon, and I'm a book hoarder. Hi, Hi Shannon. Hi, I'm Aaron, and I'm a book hoarder. Hi, Hi Aaron. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Book Hoarders. I'm Shannon. And I'm Erin. And we're the Book Hoarders. <laughs> and we're actually in the same room today. Isn't that just fabulous? It is very fabulous. And uh, Shannon has come to visit North Carolina, and I managed to convince her to come and record the podcast and come to my humble abode uh, and um, record with me today in the same room. And so I did, and there was pizza, and it was delicious, and... Here we are. Yay. Um, so this is fabulous. And we'll talk about our books and stuff just like we usually do. And a few news items. Not really much news. And not much this week. <laughs> no, not much. Um, but And of course, our homework that yes. we had that had varying degrees of success and non-success. <laughs> yes. Uh, but that's okay because that's what our podcast is about. Um, I would like to say we do have a couple of listeners to mention. I always want to mention Kathy Blackburn this time. She um, tweeted, she gives us a lot of news items and things to consider. So we appreciate that at BHA, uh, at BHAPodcast.com. The Twitter account is Book Hoarders. Yes. All one word. And we got an email from Lisa who says that she would like to see more nonfiction in the podcast. And even if we have some nonfiction news items. So that's something that we'll consider. Yeah. Um, we may read a nonfiction book for homework occasionally. Or we may have find some nonfiction news snippets. So we'll, we'll try and, and look for that. If you have any suggestions, Lisa, for nonfiction books that we could read for homework, you know, let us know because that's, we were just talking about that before we started recording and we're not exactly sure. Um, like it would have to be pretty specific kinds yeah. of nonfiction. I mean, the concern, especially with a podcast like this is that you won't get a very, a lot of discussion out of a nonfiction book. You know, it wouldn't generate a lot of really like, yeah, discussion-oriented things, you know, like either it is or it isn't. So if there's a nonfiction book that really makes you think, um, let us know and we'll, we'll try and read it uh, for one I mean, of our podcasts. I, I find that when I, read, when I review nonfiction books on Goodreads, like I really don't ever have a whole lot to say. It's like, well, you know, he had some interesting thoughts or, you know, <laughs> I disagreed right. with him completely, but that's pretty much as far as it, like, you know, it usually goes for me. So. Right. But we'll see what we can do and let us know how we can, uh, how, you know, give us some ideas on how we can put this into the podcast. And that would be awesome because we can all use broader reading horizons. Yes. This is the thought that I am always with. Um, so let's see. Should we talk about our reads for the month? Yes. Um, what have you been reading this month? I have been traveling this month so far. Hasn't really, I haven't read a whole lot, but what I have read has been good. I did... Um, a reread of The Stand. Loved it the first time I read it, and I really enjoyed it this time, too. Um, mm. I read... Uh, I'm still plugging away at the, the Engineer Trilogy books. I'm on the second one, so maybe hopefully by by um, this next podcast I'll have finished that series. Um, <laughs> if you decide to finish the second book. If I decide to finish book. it. The second book is really slow going, but but a friend of mine recommended it, and I feel like I... like. I like that is the reason that I'm giving it as much of a chance as I am that and, and I um I'm about like over halfway through so it feels like giving up on it now would be cheating right <laughs> absolutely um and then right now I'm reading 112263 by Stephen King which I'm really liking a lot um I am especially enjoying it because like it's not his typical style. He's there's like scary parts, but it's not right. a horror book. Um, and the time travel thing is really fascinating. And I don't mm. really know where he's going with it. And I'm like, I'm, I, I was listening to it on my way up to, um, to Aaron's place from, from where I'm staying. And <laughs> it's like, like, 
I, I'm I'm so disappointed because I'm like just at the the part of the book where where like things are starting to come together, but I still don't know right exactly going. what's going to go on. And and she's been talking about pound cake. That's a thing continuously in that book. because apparently it's a thing in the book. So um, I am waiting eagerly to read it. And I almost made a pound cake today, but seeing as how I'd never made one. I didn't figure it would be good to test out my first ever pound cake on you. Probably not. <laughs> because it probably would not have turned out. So um, I thought about going to buy one at the store, but that was last night at like 8 o'clock. So that didn't work out. <laughs> no pound cake. No pound cake. Um, and let's see. I'm, I'm reading. I'm, I am reading nonfiction. I'm, mm-hmm. My bedtime book is um, At Home, A Short History of Private Life by Bill Bryson an interesting writer because he like I feel like he he like finds things that he finds interesting and then he does a tremendous amount of research about them wow and um his books are kind of humorous like not not like deliberately funny but they're they have like their moments of like dry wit Mm -hmm. and so I enjoy them and he's always got interesting tidbits like so this book is about um he takes us on a tour of the house that he lives in and he goes through every room and he basically talks about things that are sort of influential to um, the rooms that he's in. Like he, he did a chapter about when he was talking about the dining room, he spent some time talking about um, the spice trade and how that was a really kind of contentious and bloody interesting. And now I'm on the chapter about um, like, like he he just spent a chapter talking about the invention of the telephone and I, mm-hmm. and I learned some things about that that were interesting like you know people weren't really sure at the beginning like what a telephone would even be used for like there wasn't really any practical <laughs> purpose to it but yeah. now here we are you know like what would we do without them mm-hmm. and uh so that's what I've been reading and my other bit of news is that I was on an episode of a podcast called Quantum Tavern. Ooh, nice name for a podcast. It is um, hosted by uh, my, well, my friend Lauren was the one that originally um, got me into it. And it's, and she co-hosts it with um, her friend, Eric, and um, a guy named Cody who who is from Ohio and I know that because his Twitter name is Cody from Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but we they they had me on their most recent episode which I think is episode 33 and they were you're we were talking all about summer reads. So mm-hmm. um good. If you want more of me sounding like I do when I'm on Skype then <laughs> go check that out. All right. Um, and that's all for your reads? That's all I got this month. Okay. Um, my reads have been a couple rereads, uh, and then some new things. Unfortunately, I did not get to the nonfiction. Well, I started my nonfiction book, but it's daunting in its length, so I have not finished it whatsoever. Um, I'll talk about that first because I was listening to a podcast called, um, Hardcore History, which is really cool. Uh, And it's by a a journalist named Dan Carlin, who does episodes every few months or so about different times in history. And he did a um, marvelous, he has done some marvelous ones about World War II. And one of the episodes he did was uh, talking about the atomic um, bombs dropped on Japan and whether or not, you know, that was a necessary thing or not, and about the Japanese involvement in World War II. So I started to try and reread a book that I somehow managed to pretend like I read in high school called um, The Rising Sun, and uh, it, it, it talks about World War II from a Japanese perspective. And I read the first... It, I was reading it for history class because we had to read a book about something, and that was the book that... I chose. I remember reading it first on like thermoform paper, <laughs> you know, that plastic paper. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was a very long, it, the book was published originally in two volumes. And so the one on Bard is both volumes together. The one that I was reading in Braille was the first part, which is like essentially 1937 to 1943. And then the last part is 1943 to 1945. Um, 
And so I, I was reading this 37 to 43 part on Thermoform paper, and I pretended like I finished it because I, I got really bored really fast. Um, but in all fairness to a high school student, it's a very heavy subject. Right. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I was able to write a, my paper on the early part of the war in Japan, and I was able to do that okay and and not focus on the last part of the book that I didn't read. Um, but um, I started rereading it because I noticed it on, on Bard. Um, I can't remember whether it's a new edition or not. It's by John Toland and uh, written in the 70s. But a good book for all that. And I think I've gotten about 10% of the way through, considering that it is an over 40-hour long book. <laughs> Both volumes put together. It's it's quite a long. It's going to be a long time before I finish it. It's um, and and when I'm reading it again, I have a fresh new perspective on it because I'm older and debatably wiser now. Uh, and it's, I never really understood the political intrigues that were going on in Japan at this time and the ups and downs they were having in their political system and the weird revolts and strange stuff that was going on in Manchuria at the time that they were putting the Chinese through and the, and, or the Chinese were putting them through depending on how you look at it. So, you know, from that perspective, it's like, it's interesting now rather than confusing. Like I'm, I sort of understand it better now that I'm reading it a second time when I'm older. Uh, but it's also very, very, very heavy. And it's not something that I can read a whole bunch of at one time. Like I read an hour and then I stop or I read a half an hour and then I have to stop. So <laughs> yeah. it's going to take a long time to get through. Um, but all that said, I really um, am looking forward to the whole like Guadalcanal experience and reading about the, you know, cannibalism and starvation and all that, you know, grisly stuff that does come up uh, in, you know, from 1943 to 45, which is, of course, the part that I never read before. Um, <laughs> See if you just stuck it out. Exactly. <laughs> but I just stuck it out just a little longer. Um, so that's my ramble on my nonfiction for the month. And this is actually the first nonfiction I've touched in a long time. Um, that said, I have been rereading um, something else because uh, this past month, the 12th novel in the Southern Vampire series by Charlene Harris came out. Uh, called Deadlocked, and this is, of course, about the telepathic barmaid Sookie Stackhouse. Uh, the true Sookie. Yes, Sookie. I, I <laughs> just wonder if that's like her real name or if it's a nickname for Susan or something. I mean, they never talk about <laughs> they, that. No. <laughs> um, so anyway, the the True Blood series on HBO is based on the, on this, although I understand it departs quite radically from the books. Um, but since the 12th one came out, I was like, wait a minute. I uh, don't like remember what happened what happened in the rest of them. And I had not even read the 10th and 11th ones. I, I stopped at like book eight. So I actually went back and reread book one to make sure I knew sort of like the basic premise. Although that wasn't the problem. Book eight was the problem. So I, I reread book eight and um, then read nine, 10 and 11 in a quick succession and finally read deadlocked. Uh, number 12 by Charlene Harris and got that done um, late last week. Hmm. And it was good. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's sort of the same deal that they all are. Right. You know, the weird politics and supernatural politics and the uh, scrapes that her selfish, now sort of half shapeshifter brother gets into. And the... Um, sort of love triangle that exists between her and these two vampires and her um, boss that she sort of secretly has a desire for, I think. Uh, more about that in the 12th book. But um, it was really, you know, really good. Her pulling herself out of a bad situation and one of the vampires in particular acting like a big jerk, uh, Eric. Of course, he's always a big jerk. <laughs> Her feelings for him baffle me. But anyway, um, all that aside, I re I've read that. And he's apparently very hot in a TV yeah, show. Yeah, and he's he's apparently hot in the books, too. Like, really hot. Uh, and apparently, um, there are some very good sex scenes in the fifth book when he's lost his memory and ends up at her house for some weird reason. She doesn't know why. But he goes from being at her house to being in her bed pretty quickly in the fifth book book especially um and the sex scenes are interesting 
but anyway, there wasn't really a whole lot of that. In, in, I mean, not all the books have lo- large amounts of sex scenes in them. That one just did. And uh, the twelfth book didn't, really. Um, so I, I read that. And then I read House Rules by Jody Picot. Um, I had it on my SD card to read. And so finally I, I read it. Um, I sort of skipped about the last fourth of it because it got a little bit tedious. It's about a, a, a kid with Asperger's syndrome who is accused of murder. And of course, the fact that he's like obsessed with forensic, um, forensic science doesn't help his case any because he's like one of those people that hangs out at crime scenes to see how the investigators operate. And so when they think he killed this woman, it's about, you know, his quest to prove that he didn't. And the, you know, for me, it was really good until the last, like, fourth of the book when they get into the courtroom. And then it kind of bogs down in the trial a little bit for me. Um, but that said, I, I did kind of skim parts of that last part. And I did finish it. Um, and, I, and, and I thought it was good. I've never read any of her other books, so I can't be, a, I can't be the judge. Uh, some people really like her. Some people really hate her. <laughs> so I don't know how to interpret that. I've never read any of her books. I sort of get the impression that I wouldn't like them if I did, but, um, you know, they're not yeah. going to you try it, I guess. So I guess. So, um, that was, that was, that was a good read. I'm glad I read it. Um, another book I read was, uh, and I don't know how I got started on it. I guess because, um, they came out on Bard recently, at least one of them, one of these series did. And, um, I thought it sounded interesting. It's the series is uh, Gone by Michael Grant, and that's the name of the first book. And um, it's about these kids that are like transported into this alternate dimension, and it's only them, and there's no adults. And it's kind of like how this all got started and how they cope with being, you know, ages 14 and under in this alternate, like out of phase with everybody else. And so I, I've read the first book. It was really interesting and i am in the second book and it like got really slow for me really fast because it's kind of like i know who the kids are i kind of know what they're gonna do i'm not really it it, it, you know it's kind of predictable you know the good guys are gonna win in all fairness this is written for teenagers yeah yeah so i mean you know so i haven't quite finished it yet but i mean all that said, I think I am going to, you know, keep reading them. The fact that I, what I can't get around is, though, the Bard versions are narrated by Kristen Allison, who I despise. Yeah, she's a terrible choice for oh those books. Oh, my God. It's I read awful. the I read the first three. Mm-hmm. And I think there are six total. Well, there will be six total. I think that, that I'm I'm ready for book four, and book five recently came out. Oh. Um, and, and. Yeah, Kristen, Ell- Kristen Ellison is was not a good choice. They make her read some books she's not fit for. I mean, I think she'd be like a great reader of nonfiction because she's a very dry, but at the same time, brisk reader. But they put her on like romances and the Southern Vampire series for some weird reason. And <sighs> these books, and she's just not a good, not a good fit for them. Well, the, the, given that the main character really, I mean, they're they're not all... Um, the characters are are boys, but certainly right. the main character is a boy. It seems like an odd choice. Yeah, for her. it seems like they should put a you know like Eric Sandvold or somebody on or there, like some guy He'd probably anyway. be good at that. Right, him or um, Christopher Hurt would probably do a decent job, or even Rick Rowan would do a decent job. But I'm not sure about Kristen Allison and this choice. Hmm, even Nick Sullivan wouldn't be too bad. But um, anyway, enough. I'm sure that she is a wonderful person. <laughs> If you're listening to the podcast, Kristen, we're sorry. (laughs) We think you're an awesome person, but, uh, you know, like people like raz on narrators all the time. And I think that, you know, if you don't like someone's voice, that's okay to voice your opinion, but you don't want to feel like and feel too bad. Yeah. They may be listening. Um, (laughs) so I, I, I read that one and kind of the second one, um, another book I read, um, narrated by one of my favorite narrators, although she sounds old and fragile now, which is kind of a shame, uh, is uh, Wild Thorn by Jane Eagland. Um, and this is about a girl who gets put in a mental institution. This is in England in like the 1840s or something because she likes to learn. And her uncle thought that it signified moral depravity or something like that in a woman to like to to learn and she wants to be a doctor so they put her in this mental 
institution for women. And um, it's very, I thought it was very, very fascinating. And there's also some uh, lesbian themes in this book that make it really interesting. And I was surprised that Bard has it as a uh, junior and senior high for an older reader's book. There aren't any like sex scenes or anything, but it, you know, it's, it's this like lesbian romance as a subplot to the whole book. And, you know, I, th- I think that's kind of interesting. And I was, I was glad to see that there. Um, it's narrated by J. Michael McCullough, who I think is a great narrator, but her voice, she's, she's one of those people that when they get old, their voices get really fragile. And that's kind of what's happened to her, which is kind of sad. That is sad. I, I have that book on my to-read list. The it's really, it is really good. And it's really short. I mean, it's kind of short. It's very simple. Um, it's nothing too heavy. I mean, there are some scenes of being in the asylum that are kind of horrific, but, you know, overall, it's, it's, it's a pretty good, uh, quick read. And so, you know, I, I would, I would recommend it. It's not really like mental candy, you know, like brain candy, but it's, you know, kind of, it kind of is, most of it is, um, and, and a, and a nice, uh, nice read. So, um, that one. And there is one final book, and then I'll be done with my rambling list. Uh, this is The Integral Trees by Larry Niven. And the reason that I ended up reading this, and it's not on Bard, uh, by the way, I have, I have another audio version of it. I, um, way back when, uh, my husband worked with someone who was giving away a lot of books because they were moving. So they gave us a whole bunch of like science fiction books and I still have most of them because I don't know what to do with them but I scanned them and most of them I don't want including this one when I first started reading it it was so bizarre that I couldn't continue with it like I couldn't grasp the world that that he was trying to build you know a lot of authors make their own worlds you know around their books and and he did that Uh, and I and I just couldn't grasp it and then I um, was on an email list a few a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about books whose worlds haunted us in some kind of way. And for all that it was a very confusing place to be, I did realize that the world in that book was just very haunting. And I'll explain why in a second. I'll get there. Uh, and I dreamed about it after I heard that conversation. The book entered into a dream of mine in some way I don't really remember. But then I decided I have to read the book. It's called The Integral Trees, and it's part of a series uh, that's either two or three books. I'm not sure. I have the second. I'm not sure if there's a third or not, um, and haven't read the second. But um, it's it's this this situation where these people were on a colony ship to find an Earth-like planet to colonize, and there were enough people on the ship to give them, you know, enough to 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 establish a gene pool and, uh, you know, form a colony. Well, the ship comes into this place in space that's like this big ring or envelope of gases that will support life in freefall. And he actually goes into an explanation of how this is possible. And with Larry Niven, his explanations are very good. Um, seeing as how he's got math and science degrees and all kinds of other craziness, but uh, you know, to back for as background, but so life grows in this envelope in in this free fall state. So and you can actually, I mean, it has like breathable air and everything. So there are trees and animals and insects and water and rocks and things all in this this envelope, which consists inside the envelope is a neut- uh, neutron star and a planet, and something else that, that, that provides gravity. Uh, and so the people on the ship thought this was an awesome place, and they wanted to explore it, and then they decided to mutiny and live there. So it's about their lives there and the hardships that they have. And, uh, you know, this is 500 years after the actual mutiny occurs, this book starts. And so I found this just extremely haunting and bizarre at the same time, and I was... Um, after my dream about the book, I went into work the next day and was talking to someone who reads a lot of different books, the same kind of stuff I read. And he said, to, oh, yeah, I read that book. That was kind of weird. And it took me a while to figure out that they were talking about trees in space. But once I did, I thought it was a cool book. 
<laughs> and I thought, okay. So I uh, I found it and, and read it, and actually did like it the second time I I, I you know the second time I read it. Um, I decided to focus on the fact that you know whether I thought this was a weird place to be or not. You know, I was gonna read the book for the character's sake and not necessarily the place's sake. And after a while, the world just sort of grew on me, and it was good. Um, so. Those are my book reads, now that I rambled on for 20 minutes. <laughs> and speaking of science fiction authors, should we just channel right into the news story here? Uh, Ray Bradbury has died at the age of 91. I heard on Twitter that someone said she thought he died 10 years ago because she was a, had a textbook that said so. Well, if that textbook really did say so, it was wrong, because he died last week. Uh, he was the author, in case no one knows, of such famous works as Fahrenheit 451, which is about a society that has destroyed all of its books. And firemen are used to destroy books, not houses. Or, I mean, yeah, they're, they're used to destroy books and not save houses. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I meant to say, but it didn't come out quite right. And so, um, The Martian Chronicles uh, and Dandelion Wine and some other, you know, really fine pieces of literature... Mostly science fiction. Yes. So he's he, he died and, and he'll be missed and a lot of his stuff was really classic, especially the stuff he wrote in the 50s and 60s uh, and early 70s, I guess, when the Martian Chronicles came out. But um, anyway, so... So that, I, yeah. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, and I thought about assigning Ray Bradbury homework for this month, but decided that might not be such a good idea, um, seeing as how next month is 4th of July. And the July podcast should be patriotic, shouldn't it? Yes, yes, it yeah. should. We'll talk about homework later. But yeah, that was our main news item was that, you know, he he is deceased and that he'll be missed. Um, also, speaking of science fiction, Tor has launched its ebook DRM free ebook store, which I think we mentioned last week, didn't we? I, I think we did last month it last rather. week. Or last month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um but I I don't know that the store is actually launched, but it apparently is coming in early July or at the the end of this month. Oh, cool! And uh, so they like you should be able to get there via tour dot com, and yeah, they will be able to sell you all kinds of fun things. I have I really want to know how how accessible that website is going to be. So it will be it'll be interesting to. Uh Check yeah. that out when it's released. Um, and please, if any of you have any experiences with it, uh, let us know how you find it. Let's see. Oh, oh and Stephen King and Stephen is coming King. out with a new book. And it is not going to be li- released directly into ebook form. Uh, it is a, it, the story apparently takes place, you know, several decades ago in the 40s or something, I think. And so he's releasing it, you know, in sort of a vintage way in a hardback uh, form first, and then it's going to in, in a limited edition actually, and then you know if it's good enough and it's you know seems to be doing well, he'll release it in other forms. But he's going to start out with you know a limited edition hardback version, which when you think about it is how most books used to be released anyway. True. So the fact that people are getting all up in arms about this to me seems kind of funny. It it does, especially you know considering the fact that that um, like it's Stephen King. It's not like you know Joe Blow off the street, right? So it's going to sell well because mm-hmm. you know, and he, he could probably write the New York City phone book and put his name on it. And it would be <laughs> yeah. a number one bestseller. Um. So so yeah, it it'll it'll sell well, and so I have I I. I'm pretty sure that there will be an audio and an ebook version. Maybe not like right the day away. it comes out, but there will be one. Yeah. So, you know, we, we all have to be a little patient and it'll come. <laughs> yes, it will. Yes, it will come. Um, I just had the you build it and they will come. <laughs> <laughs> just fly through my head. Um, oh, that was a terrible movie. <laughs> terrible movie oh my god it's called what was it field of field dreams? of dreams with of course kevin, kevin costner in it which he's in this history channel miniseries that i'm that we're watching the hatfields and the mccoys <laughs> which is sort of funny uh he plays one of the hatfields i think although i'm sort of confused we've only watched an hour of it apparently it's six hours long i don't know that i'm gonna make it all the way through it uh but in any event he 
He isn't so unemotional as he usually is, so it's a little bit easier to deal with. Um, but he's usually got these very stoic, unemotional acting roles. Yes. And uh, in Field of Dreams, it was kind of no exception. He was like a real visionary and going out on a limb and taking all these, doing all these strange things. But it's still, he had this kind of like curiously unemotional attitude about it all. Um, and ugh, that was part of one of the things that turned me off to the movie. Um, but in any event. And, and this makes me think of, yeah. of Robin Hood Men in Tights. Oh, where, God. Where the, you know, he's like, I'm the real Robin Hood because I have an English accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, that was our yeah. <laughs> oriented TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I watched that movie the same weekend I watched Uncle Buck. Talk about contrast. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh Lord. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was a, it was a Memorial Day weekend, and we weren't doing, my parents and I weren't doing anything, so we watched both of those movies. How exactly we picked those two to watch, I'm not sure. Anyway, moving right along. <laughs> so, uh, are we ready to talk about the homework? Absolutely. All right. Because um, they didn't have TV back in the days of Neanderthals. <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't have TV at all. Um, our homework, in case none of you know, was Clan of the Cave Bear by Jean Owl, A-U-E-L. And uh, this was her first book in a series of books called Earth's Children. Um. And it was written in the early 80s, and the last book just came out in 2010, I think. Uh, yeah. Um, the 6th. And it was suggested to us by Diana. Yeah. Um, thank you for suggesting that. It was, I enjoyed the book when I first read it, um, primarily because, you know, it's about a girl who is raised by a group of Neanderthals who find her, you know, sick and essentially almost almost dead and dead they, they you know their healer heals her and and they raise her as one of theirs when in fact she's you know more homo sapiens sapiens which would be us and um it's about how they lived and did things and the tools that they made and and how they dealt with the harsh environment that they lived in and of course it was based on research that had been done at the time so you know criticism of the author uh it has a lot to do with her research and Methods, And I think she probably used pretty good methodology. I mean, she's not an anthropologist. She's a writer, but she did her research. Some of it's been proven, you know, incorrect, but that's more to do with the advance of science than it is with her actual research uh, and the way she did it. So anyway, uh, reading, I, I enjoyed it because it just, you know, it's a whole different, uh, you know, the Stone Age is a completely different mode of historical fiction than... 200 years ago. You know, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's a lot uh, different time factor and, and the way people, you know, did things was so much different. A part of it has to be conjecture. We don't have any historical record. But um, I, I enjoyed the, um, the world building that goes on in that book to kind of give you an idea of what the landscape was like and, and what uh, natural ecosystems the people, you know, lived with and had to deal with. I think it was a little too much world building. <laughs> At times. <laughs> At times, but I, I, I did um, enjoy the book for that reason. The whole series um, has its ups and downs for me, but um, the, the, that book itself is probably, hmm, I have to say, probably one of the most realistic and least pornographic of the books. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what, did you, what did you think of the book, seeing as how it was your first time reading it? It was, it was my first time reading it, and I think... I came in with some pretty low expectations because um, I, I had heard people talk about the later books in the series and how, um, you know, Ayla has a lot of sex. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, and, and also the other thing I'd heard was that she invents like everything. Yeah, yeah, she invents a lot. So, so when I was reading this book, and I would make it, make the occasional tweet, and I'd be like, you know, I'm three hours in, and she hasn't invented the wheel yet. What, what's going on here? Or the internet? Yeah, where's the internet? <laughs> um, but you know, like it, it it did take me a while, and and I feel like the thing about this book is that the like if you can deal with with the huge epic amount of cheese that you have to take with it like it, it's pretty good but man there were some cheesy parts like <laughs> which parts i just like i i think the fact that 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 ayla 
does figure everything out ever you know there there's a scene early on in the book when she's talking to Kreb the 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 mogur um or you know who is the the holy man in case you like did not a shaman read. Yeah. yeah and she's like at, they're talking about numbers and and like oh yeah he, he teaches her to count to 10 and then to go beyond that like by using her toes and so she's like are there numbers after that and he's like this was this was even too much knowledge for him and it was like like you know she was able to grasp this concept that was so hard for him and i mean like i i guess i get that that you know neanderthal brains like she's very quick to point out that they don't work the, the way same. That, that normal that, that like the Cro-Magnon brains do, and that's why they're extinct now. But it, it's it was still very like, yeah, like, like oh, like look at you, you unique special snowflake. You know about twenty one, you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that. And 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 I think and then there like you know I was a little bit bothered by how um, I I thought that that. Browd, who is her, you know, arch enemy. enemy. (laughs) I thought that his motivations for hating her were kind of stupid. Um, Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's basically like, oh, well, you know. She ruined my manhood ceremony. (laughs) She ruined everything in my entire life by being awesome. So I must hate her forever. Right. And, you know, then she continues to be awesome. And, you know, everyone loves her. And I don't understand that. And she's not one of us. So she she can't be awesome. Uh, You know, I don't like that. So I'm going to hate her. And and then, like, you know, then it gets to the end. And and he kind of he deteriorates rapidly as a character. and, And yeah, it like. I mean, not that he was all that that awesome of a character in the first place, but like it, it, at at the end, the things that he does are just really incredibly like it, what, like really, <laughs> really, and and you know you and like it's one of those things. I always feel like you know if the characters in the book are kind of sitting there going seriously, that just happened, <laughs> like. <laughs> Like you know that 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 that, that was and, and like I understand that she had to to get Ayla away from the um the Neanderthals at the end because otherwise there wouldn't have been like the rest of the series and she has to find her own people and but it was just such a like like it it was the the kind of thing that totally didn't have to happen <laughs> the way that it did because like Brad was such a moron yeah um <laughs> and but you know I liked. There was there was a lot that I liked. I really liked her relationship with Kreb and with with Isa, the um, the the healer. healer. Yeah. Um, and 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 with her her little sister, um, mm-hmm. I thought it it was really interesting to me thinking about you know the fact that these people didn't live till they were like you know twenty six was considered it was old. old yeah. Um, so, you know, it's like they, these women are having like babies at nine or 10. (laughs) It was, that was a bit much, but, um, you know, it, it, it did make me, make me want to go on. I like, I had to get through a lot of the initial world building, um, before I got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm just going to sit here and finish this book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I liked, um, you know, like I said, I liked the characters. I thought that that like the the stuff about Neanderthal culture w- was really interesting. Um, I could have done with like without the chapter on flint napping. <laughs> that was a little a little <laughs> much flint napping. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to nap any flint <laughs> in my entire life. I, but now I know how to do it. <laughs> yeah, and word of warning, there's a lot of flint napping in the second book, if only to point out how different the technique is between, like, the Cro-Magnon flint napping and the Neanderthal flint napping. <laughs> so it's kind of <laughs> oh like, boy. oh boy. It's towards the end, though. <laughs> so, you know. But, um, yeah, I, I tended to, I kind of liked... I tended to, yeah, the ending was cheesy, but I got something out of it other than the fact that it was, you know, it totally didn't have to happen that way. Um, I got, you know, she talked a lot about how um, it was difficult for the Neanderthals to adapt to 
you know, new ways of life and new things around them, which was probably true because, you know, they are no longer around. Um, And so adaptability, you know, tends to indicate whether something's going to survive or not. So I took out of it, you know, there was always like, Browed on one side, and then all of the other dudes who like sat down and talked about it on the other side, and they all had their own sort of fields of expertise. Like every time Ayla would do something awesome, you know, usually it was because she was a woman, and women didn't do all these cool, awesome things. Yeah. So, um, like we have to sit down and have this discussion about whether you know what we're going to do to punish her or reward her, depending on how we you know come to an agreement or not. And so it was always like Browd was always you know him bearing a grudge. Oh, I hate her. She's irritating. And, and she ruined my life forever by being found uh, along the side of the path, almost, you know. And uh, so, um, and then we've got all the other, all the other guys who are sitting around, you know, talking about it and saying, you're being unreasonable. Let's, let's try and adapt our own thinking to, you know, to take her into account. And it was like, you know, very slow adaptation, but it happened after a while and for a fashion after a fashion but you know it was kind of like some of them could adapt to a point and some of them could not and he was like the symbol of the ones who could not yeah um and so that's kind of how i how i took you know what i took out of it and out of that you know ending um i think that you're right in the sense that it was just a wee bit abrupt you're like wait a minute uh what (laughs) you know really um so, you know, it's kind of like really abrupt, like he was sort of doing stupid, dumb things. And then all of a sudden he starts acting insane. Uh, and and so, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where I wish that as the series went on, like maybe they would encounter that same group of Neanderthals again. And we would see whether he was still a nut job or whether, right. know, whether wiser heads or, had prevailed. Or at least how the baby is. Exactly. At least how at least how um, her son is, because, you know, when they... When they end the book, he's like only two or three years old. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, uh, but we never do meet them again. I will say that never does happen. Um, although they run into some more Neanderthals as the book goes on, but never those particular ones again, which I sort of find disappointing. But it was like, yeah, she had to leave her old life behind. And, and, um, you know, she was cursed with death. So even if she had met them, there, you know, maybe nothing would have come of it. I don't know. Uh, unless, you know, her son would be the key to them understanding exactly how a death curse worked, which I think some of them actually do. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I, I have to say that that was, that was that, like one of the parts that I, that I found a little bit too cheesy. That was a little seriously. cheesy. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I understand yeah. like, you know, the reason that it works the way it does and the reason for it, but you think at the same time people would like not really believe, you know, the whole spirit and body thing. You know, they wouldn't really believe she was dead just because someone said so. Yeah, yeah. It seemed more like, to me, it should have been like, they said she was dead, so we'll treat her like she's dead. Even though we know that she's not, you know, physically dead. She has to leave. We can't acknowledge her. But we don't think she's really dead. Like, you know, it's different than, you know, she's dead to us rather than she died just because our magician told us that she died and set the bones in the right place. Yeah. And she could come back to life at some future point. <laughs> which which she like, does. What? Like, you which know, she really does. And, and like, you know, it seems like they, like she made a point of talking about how, like, you know, the, the real problem with the death curse was not that people didn't acknowledge you. It was, you know, like the, the whole being shunned thing. Right. And, you know, Ayla dealt dealt with that by going off to be alone because she could, whereas, you know, all the rest of the people really couldn't deal with being alone, being alone. And she kind of liked it. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's it's. That, like, so I got that part. Mm-hmm. I, it was just still a little cheesy. Yeah. But I think I think that the thing about like. I think some of it too is that that I'm a more cynical reader. Um, mm-hmm. I think if I had read this book when I was a teenager, I would have loved it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I would have loved it, and I would have been one of those people that was reading the whole rest of the series. Um, you know, and probably would have been like delighted by the porn in the, <laughs> the next few books. Yeah. You know, but um, since I'm I'm not, you know, there there's also a little bit of of me that's just 
really cynical. I I guess, I mean, I don't know. Like, I really do love this book. And I love at least the first four books, despite the porn. Uh, which, actually, it's very good to uh, read those, if only for the technique. Which I pointed out to someone on Twitter. Ooh, you learn a lot of interesting sexual techniques <laughs> from reading these books. And and so, you know, that's sort of, that's sort of cool. Um, but, you know, I, I tend to be sort of like... I tend to when I when I read things I tend to be sort of analytical and if something's cheesy I can gloss over it and figure in in the favor of the bigger picture like you know the whole thing with the death curse and like they really thought she was dead I was like yeah really what oh okay I'll just you know read the book and and see how it comes out and I'll I'll try and ignore the little you know cheesy bits that that come in um that said some of the later you know like stuff in book in the third book um there there are some scenes when it's just like the human emotions are they're so raw she doesn't go the author doesn't go to a great um effort to make people's feelings you know to make her presentation of emotional feelings very subtle <laughs> so it's like <laughs> right. okay you all are like beating me over the head with the fact that you're jealous so can we like move on um so that's a little bit difficult to deal with but i find that um you know i found that my really just enjoyment of the world building was so intricate that I could, I could overlook, you know, all those things and the, the speculation of, well, what do I really agree with her assessment of the way that uh, people would live and, you know, act together during a, you know, the long cold winter months. That was enough for me to sort of override the whole like ridiculous jealousy that goes on in the third book, because it happens when people are like trying to live in this close environment for for six, seven months at a time without leaving because, well, it's wintertime on the steps. What are you going to do? Right. <laughs> so, you know, and, and in the first book, um, you know, the fact that, that Brow does go kind of insane and to do these really cheesy things kind of, you know, I was kind of able to overlook that and sort of her whole battle with him throughout the whole book and her whole, um, you know, she had to be submissive to him and her whole struggle with that got a little annoying after a while too. Uh, but, but I just, you know, I felt like, um, you know, I'm learning about all these cool plants and I'm learning about what the ecosystem might have been like. And I'm learning right. about what, you know, the, the Neanderthals might have been like. And, you know, no one, none of us was there. So what do I think about the author's depiction of all that? Um, overrode all of that cheesiness for me. And the thing is that despite my criticism about the cheese, like, I really <laughs> want to go on and read the next book. Yeah. So I, you know... <laughs> And it made me think, I also want to go back and read, um, Robert J. Sawyer did a series of books called The Neanderthal Parallax, where he had, uh, where some characters discovered a parallel universe that, that was one where, like, it was the Neanderthals that, that made um, it big, made it big, <laughs> and not the Cro-Magnons, and, and, like, I really want to go, um, back and, and reread that, at least the first book, which was called Hominids, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I never finished the series, but and the only thing I really remember about the first book <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that they're a polyamorous society and the guy has a man mate and a woman mate. <laughs> and I kept thinking to myself, I don't think Brad would approve of, of, yeah, I of a man mate. Well, see, I, I, read, I read the Hominids, you know, years after I had read Clan of the Cave Bear and I was like, whoa, a gay Neanderthal? Dude, that's like really <laughs> far out. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I read it and, and I got like, I thought the, the book itself um, was kind of slow. So I, you know, I, I, I managed to drag my way through it. Of course, I think a lot of things I read by Robert J. Sawyer are slow and maybe that's just me. Um, but um, it, it, it was a little bit slow, but I mean, I, I, I sort of, you know, thought that the whole... Um, Neanderthal society thing was, was really sort of funny. Like he was going to his, he was living with his man mate, but <laughs> his woman mate, um, his, the daughter that he had with his, when he was living with his woman mate was like going to this coming of age ceremony or something. And, and he was in this parallel universe. So he was going to miss it. <laughs> like, so he got back just in time at the end to go to his woman mate's daughter's coming of age <laughs> or graduation from something or whatever it was. It was like some important <laughs> event in her life. From MIT. Who yeah, knows? that kind of thing. <laughs> anyway, it was some important event in her life and, and he got back just in time. Um, 
But that said, I mean, I, I, that's the only one I've read, and I haven't read any of the others. But um, yeah, I, I don't know of any other books that, that have been written about, you know, that particular subspecies, I guess, of, of humanity. You no, know, I, d- I can't think of I, any either. I, I, you know, kind of the Earth Children series and, and the hominids, which is like the strange science fiction <laughs> uh, twist. Uh, and and um, I do know of one book, and I was talking about it to you, but I'll mention it here again, just like you've never heard of it before, uh, called The West of Eden by Harry Harrison that I found was really interesting. A, um, a professor of mine, well, he wasn't really a professor, but he worked at the UNC law school and we spent a lot of time swapping books back and forth. I, I introduced him to hit this book and he thought it was really interesting. Um, it was again in one of those boxes of huge boxes of books that, um, that uh, my husband's coworker gave us that I don't know what to do with it. It's a book about um, this um, society or this world in which, the dinosaurs made it big and mammals developed. I mean, like, you know, there are humans around, but clearly the dominant and most intelligent life forms are the dinosaurs and they don't call themselves dinosaurs and they don't refer to themselves as like, you know, a Tyrannosaurus Rex or a Plesiosaur or whatever, you know, they've got their own names for themselves and the other species. And there are new reptile forms that obviously have not been preserved in, in, you know, mines. So he's making or mines in um, archaeological sites. So you know, Harry Harrison is is using his imagination to come up with things, and you know, and, and very imaginatively trying to portray how the dinosaurs would uh, have a society. You know, and and they're cold blooded. So how would it be different for them? Um, and they capture a human male and a female. Uh, the female dies off eventually. Uh, but it's it's all the story of like the male trying to escape, and then once he finally escapes, they lead this like the humans lead this like revolt on the dinosaurs essentially to drive them out of their territory so that the humans can you know take it over. Um, it's weird and yet interesting at the same time. I don't think he wrote any other books that follow it. Like I don't think it was a series. I think it was a standalone type of book. Uh, Harry Harrison is of course the author of the. Uh, Stainless Steel Rat series, and uh, also the author of a really cool book that I read called Make Room, Make Room, which is, it was written early in his career and talks about what would happen if Earth continued to grow in population uh, in 30 years, where would we be? Of course, he, this was in the 60s, so he didn't take into account things like birth control and abortion. Uh, which, say what you like about birth control and abortion, have done their job to, you know, and maybe even in just a little bit, to kind of stabilize our population so it doesn't go completely out of control, uh, like it is in this book. Really, kind of scary, actually. But um, it could still wow. happen. It could <laughs> still happen that it would be this scary. I'll have to uh, look for that That one. It, is, it is on board, and it's, you know, like, the only other things I had read by him was this West of Eden book and the Make Room, Make Room. I mean, the uh, stainless steel rat stuff, which I think is just stupid. It's about a career criminal who starts working for the good guys, except for it's like science fiction-oriented crime mystery solving. Um, and and I, I just don't like it. But those two different things are, you know, were really, I thought were really good. So <laughs> that's Clan of the Cape Bear. Yep, there you go. <laughs> Um, yeah, because it's 4th of July, yeah. and we talked about reading something really patriotic like The Killer Angels, which is about the Battle of Gettysburg, or mm, I don't know. But how about Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter? Yes. <laughs> that sounds patriotic. Oh, you know? sure. Who, who doesn't like Abraham Lincoln, and who and doesn't vampires. like vampires? <laughs> <laughs> um, and apparently there's also a movie called Abraham Lincoln Zombie Hunter, which is not the same, but... Um, 
Abraham Lincoln does eventually turn into a zombie and uh, because he's shot by John Wilkes Booth and he's turned into one. Um, <laughs> like John Wilkes Booth is a zombie and he turns him into, I don't know. Anyway, someone was trying to tell me about it and explain it. And apparently it's a really bad, one of those really, 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 really terrible horror movies. So you know, cheesy. That's beyond. Good. Yeah. And, and my boss loves those. She thinks they're awesome. And so she was trying to explain this to me and, and that, that she said, basically there's not a whole lot of dialogue except Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln going around, running around going, Oh, let's kill the zombies. And Mary, Ta- Mary Todd Lincoln going, Oh, Abe, hey, please be careful when you go out and kill the zombies. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and so and he's got his zombie group groupies you know zombie hunter groupies running around after him anyway that's not the book we're talking about no this is vampires <laughs> <laughs> this is uh a- abraham lincoln vampire hunter by seth graham smith who or is was it seth Gra- smith graham graham smith it's graham smith who was the same one that brought you all pride and prejudice and zombies and sense and sensibility with sea monsters <laughs> and, and did you know that, that Pride and Prejudice and Zombies has sequels? No. There are two sequels. You're kidding. Um, so I, I'm too scared to read it, but I did look at, the, I did like listen to the sample and it was like Darcy saying things like, you know, Elizabeth was never so happy as when she was <laughs> demolishing the undead. <laughs> <laughs> what are they called? Do you, do you know? I, I don't remember? remember. I'll have to look for them. Oh my God. I just saw that they, that they were available, and I was kind of... Because Seth Graham Smith apparently didn't write those. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, I have not... I read Pride and Prejudice um, a while ago, like a year ago, in preparation for reading Pride and Prejudice with zombies, but I never got around to it. <laughs> like, I wanted to read the original and see how, you know, the zombie one, if the language was the same or similar... Uh, you know, if any of the plot was the same, you know, how they integrated zombies into it, it. It basically is the same story, except that occasionally, like, you can tell that somebody cut and pasted some stuff about zombies in there. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of funny, like, in a, like, this is sort of stupid, but I'm laughing anyway, because <laughs> yeah. it's zombies and, and it's a classic work of literature. Right. But, um... And, and there, there are some funny moments like there that that were definitely not in in Jane Austen's book because there there are moments when when um, there are several moments that refer to uh, the musket that Mister Darcy carries and, and Elizabeth is always playing with his balls. Um, <laughs> okay, as as you know, as in the musket balls. Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> And, and really there's this whole, that. like, long conversation about Mr. Darcy's balls. <laughs> it, it's quite funny. Oh, God. It reminds me of that Big Bang episode when Sheldon is making all these innuendos that could apply to male anatomy, but he doesn't seem to realize it. Like, he's like, I'm, I've got some sheep. I need, to, I need wood so I can build my settlement. I need wood. And they're all laughing. And he's like, I need to erect buildings with some wood. I need to erect buildings with some wood. Why are you making this so hard for me? <laughs> By not giving me wood, you're making this awfully hard. It's just <laughs> like he's just oblivious. See, we're even worse together. Together. <laughs> oh, oh man, God. So, so now that we've talked about Sheldon's wood and. <laughs> Mr. Darcy's balls. Darcy's balls. I think we should probably (laughs) call this to a close. I think so, too. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, So, you can tweet us at Book Hoarders and visit our page at bhapodcast.com if you've never gotten one of our podcasts before. Um, And we have all the other contact details at the end here. Uh, If you want to catch me on Twitter, I am Erin Edgar. And I am Bardsong, B-A-R-D-S-O-N-G. And hopefully we'll be able to meet at some point soon and do this again. Yes. This was enormous fun. <laughs> oh, and BHA podcast at gmail.com. Yes, BHA podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> uh, so we will see you all next time. Have fun with Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. And um, we will return. Bye-bye. Bye.
To contact the book hoarders, send email to bhapodcast at gmail.com. Follow Book Hoarders on Twitter. Call us at 520-81-BOOKS, 520-812-6657. And visit the website at bhapodcast.com.